Welcome to the SBC History Podcast. We cover the people, places, and events of the Southern Baptist Convention. We learn from the past to help guide us in the future. My name is Luke. I'm the host of SBC History. And Chris is not with us this week, my usual co-host. He's away on business or something or other. But I wanted to take a few minutes today and talk about Lifeway. I imagine now everyone has seen the news that Lifeway is going to be closing all their brick-and-mortar stores. It's sad news for lots of people, but especially those who will be losing their jobs at those stores. I myself worked at Lifeway in Oklahoma City. I really enjoyed my time there. It was a great place to work, to have the chance to help people. And when I worked there is when the Purpose Driven Life came out and we sold the fire out of those books. But I thought I would take a chance for us to dive down in the history of Lifeway, explore the history of the bookstore, and look at a part of how we got to where we are. But more than that, I want to celebrate the history of Lifeway. They've done great work over the years, and they will continue to do great work in the future. Lifeway itself is not going anywhere, just the stores. But that gets us to the first point we need to make, that Lifeway is a company made up of lots of little companies, if that makes sense. Lifeway is the umbrella organization. The retail stores were part of that. They also operate Ridgecrest Conference Center, publish the CSB under the BNH publishing name. The website lists five divisions that operate under the name Lifeway Christian Resources. Insights, information technology, finance and business, organizational development, and resources. The last one is the one that we're most familiar with and the one that most of us have contact with. I'm not going to get perfect every nuance of the organization. It's a behemoth, but I'm just saying that when you hear Lifeway is closing, we need to understand that it means only that the physical stores are closing. Lifeway started in 1891 under the name the Sunday School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention under the leadership of J.M. Frost. He kept that name, it kept that name for over a hundred years and many people still remember it. It was established after the 1891 annual meeting in Birmingham. Apropos as we're coming up on a meeting in Birmingham ourselves. This had been several years in the making because when the issue first came up at the meeting in Augusta in 1885, some people believed the SBC shouldn't be in that business. We were established by four missions after all and in fact there was a first Sunday school board of the SBC began in 1863 and discontinued by the convention in 1873. They were focused on providing Sunday school material and there's a terribly long history here. It involves a lot of Baptist fighting if you can believe something like that. But most Baptists at this time got the materials from the American Baptist Baptist Publication Society in Philadelphia. They were a wealthy organization. They put out good material. They employed Southern writers. And they did good benevolent work among churches. So many supported this society, opposed the whole mission board getting into publication, and in turn opposed the SBC getting into it. Because nobody likes change, right? So in 1890, J.M. Frost became burdened with the idea of a new SBC board to do the work. He worked up some resolutions to that effect, wrote them up, distributed them beforehand through newspapers, and brought them to the annual meeting in Fort Worth. There were recommendations from several big names in the SBC, J.B. Montgomery, I.T. Tickner, but there were many able men against the formation of the board, and most of the newspapers were against it. So it comes to Fort Worth, the annual meeting, and J.M. Frost gives his recommendation, and it's sent to a committee of one pastor from each state. The committee came out with a halfway solution. Not everyone was in favor of it. The next year in Birmingham, the convention heard the proposal to establish a full Sunday school board with another committee. On that committee was J.M. Frost in favor of it and J.B. Gambrell opposed to it. 
Now, Gambrill was a leading statesman who in his life was the editor of the Baptist Record, the president of Mercer on faculty at Southwestern, and the leader of Texas Baptist. Gambrill and Frost were tasked with writing the committee report about whether or not there should be a Sunday school board. Here's how Frost described their working together. After much conferring together and at the close of a conference which lasted practically all day, he proposed to let me write the report and even name the location of the board, provided he could write the closing paragraph. When the report was written and he added his words, they were accepted, provided he would let me add one sentence. That is an amazing compromise. Interesting methods for sure. The convention approved the work of the board. It said it would be headquartered in Asheville, gave some other provisions, but there was still quite a fight about it. The story of the moment the resolution came forward is full of Baptist politics. They called it a battle of Baptist giants, but no one knew who would win. So when Frost came to give his report, people were hushed still, right? There's no Baptist Twitter to spread rumors or anything like that. No text message, you got to get in the room, so-and-so is about to speak. As soon as it was over, people were ready for a fight. They say crowds were overflowing, hanging out of windows, and it was hot. But as soon as Frost finished, John Broadus, the uh, legendary leader at Southern, stepped to the stage and said a few words. His speech put a lid on the volcano and brought to an end the matter. It was a really dramatic moment live at the convention, much like we've seen in the past few years of the SBC. A noted leader stands up and speaks from the floor and makes a case. We spoke about this with women in the SBC, with the history of the annual meeting, with the history of presidents, with the history of the cooperative program. This is an ongoing thing in the annual meeting that the men and women who are leaders in the convention are often the ones who stand up and speak for change. The convention approved the formation of the board and Gambrill nominates Frost as secretary. It's not as big an honor as you think, though, because there was no income and the job didn't pay anything. He declined. He was later elected, and he left his pastor to take on the work. Frost later resigned to pastor FBC Nashville and then became director again, and he never looked back. So from the beginning, the Sunday School Board only received money from the sales of its products. At the end of the first year, the Sunday School Board ended with more than 1000 in the bank, thanks to Frost's dedication to watching the budget. This is in the 1890s, remember. That's a lot of money. The Sunday School Board almost immediately became a net contributor to the SBC. They allayed the fears that many had that it was going to be a drain. The board starting started supporting Sunday School programs and missionary programs. But there were still lots of challenges. Many SBC churches still bought from the Northern Societies. Many saw the North as trying to snuff out its competition. The Sunday School Board led in leading churches to support Southern entities like the newly formed Baptist Young People's Union. It said that discussion over it in the 1895 meeting, it says in the uh, one record of it, quote, was an explosive discussion that sometimes exceeded proper decorum. Close quote. If that doesn't sound familiar, then you're not paying attention. The board continued to strengthen its standing. It came to a showdown with the Northern Societies. So understand, these two companies are competing for people's business. And in 1897, one man from the Northern Group blasted Frost in the Sunday School Board. And again, one man stepped forward and brought order to chaos, this time Dr. William Hatcher. So uh, I'm telling you all this to show you that the status of the Sunday School Board was precarious. We think of Lifeway as having always been and having always been there, but there's a time when it's... Its status and 
SBC life was was on the edge. People didn't think we needed it. It took decades for it to achieve stability. The Northern Society tried to load the Board of Trustees with people sympathetic to their cause. They and and then Frost simply it said he held meetings so late in the year they couldn't do anything, and he eventually won most of them over. How's that for some diversionary tactics? Now, as for books, which many associate with Lifeway today, 1846, the SBC had voted not to, quote, embarrass itself with any enterprise for the publication and sale of books. Books were an expensive failure, and the book ban was a concession to other publication societies. But still, they found ways to publish books. Eventually, Frost made the decision just to do it. If that he couldn't get permission, he'd ask for forgiveness. So he approved the story of Yates with a budget of $500, and the SBC loved it. I've got a copy in my office. It's one of my favorites. And at the next year's annual meeting, a committee report by the new pastor at FBC Dallas, G.W. Truett, said that the Sunday School Board should be allowed full liberty in its publishing, and then it was off to the races. But there were still challenges. In 1900, it was estimated that almost half of the SBC congregations had no Sunday School at all. Uh, Are you listening to that? In 1900, half of Southern Baptist churches had no Sunday School. And J.M. Frost is in charge of the Sunday School Board. He commissioned Bernard Spillman to promote Sunday School Board materials and show churches how to use them. In seven months of 1901, B.W. Spillman traveled 12,000 miles. There's a wonderful little book about Spillman that one can find if they want to. It details how he became known as the Sunday School Man and how he eventually helped found Ridgecrest. So several names loom large in these early years. Spillman, Arthur Flake. Flake is now known as Mr. Sunday School. He worked hard to help churches. After Frost, I.J. Van Ness took over as president. He said when he was elected secretary, he prayed, Lord, make me big enough to work with other people and not care who gets the credit. Man, that's a prayer that we could all pray. Other men like Height Seymour, P.E. Burroughs, L.P. Lavelle, E.E. Hot Dog Lee, and Charles Dagan enter the picture. In 1904, they published their first hymnal. 1925, they produced their first VBS material. 1925 was also the year they first operated the Baptist bookstore. So things are going well, but then the Great Depression hits. The Sunday School Board endured challenges like all others. They had put back quite a bit in savings, though, and they managed to get through. James Sullivan, was later head of the Sunday School Board, said that every convention agency was saved from bankruptcy by the contributions of the Sunday School Board. Now remember, they get no cooperative program funds, and there wasn't much of a CP at that point anyways. The Relief and Annuity Board, now Guidestone, was founded in part by a $100,000 donation by the Sunday School Board. So the history of Lifeway is a history of helping others in many different ways. In the 1930s, they introduced Broadman Press, a publishing imprint that paid homage to John Broadus and Basil Manley, Broadman. They looked for other inventive ways to reach the churches and lay people. The 1936 Church Annual said there are 24,000 churches, and 15 of those were one-quarter time and 5,000 half-time. That means 5,000 of the churches met once or twice a month. That means out of the 24,000 churches, 20 of them met less than half a month. The new president, Teal Holcomb, hired B.B. McKinney to lead the music department. He led in the publishing of the Broadman Hymnal, the forerunner to the Baptist Hymnal we have today. Man, there's just so much to tell you about Lifeway. They had their hands in every aspect of Baptist life over the last hundred years. 
music, Sunday school, Ridgecrest, Glorietta, all lead back to Lifeway. There were leaders in racial relations too. James Sullivan became president in 1953, and one of his first acts was to integrate the Sunday school board cafeteria. He made it the first integrated company cafeteria in Nashville. He led other Nashville businesses to promote job equality for women and minorities. Over the years, they added apartments to help reach children, students, college kids, and many more. Programs and camps like Centrifuge, Music Week, Collegiate Week, and so many others traced back to Lifeway. And over the years, they added things. They took them away as needed, but they always had the goal of helping churches and of sharing the gospel with everyone. There's just really too much history uh, at Lifeway for one podcast. This is already long, but there's so much to mention. They continue to grow under the leadership of Grady Coffin, Lloyd Elder, Jimmy Draper. In 1998, they became Lifeway Christian Resources. Tom Rainer took over leadership in 2006. Now, of course, they're in the search for a new chief executive. But all of that to say, Lifeway is much more than bookstores. It's a sad fact we're closing the brick-and-mortar stores, but Lifeway as a whole is stronger than ever. There's a century and more worth of history that shows how they have adapted to changing circumstances. If you want to read more on this topic, the best book is Lifeway Legacy by Jimmy Draper. He summarizes some of the early work on the topic, one by J.M. Frost. You can read his for free as well online from Southern Seminary. We'll have all that in the show notes. But for just a few moments today, I wanted us to talk about Lifeway and get the idea that that Lifeway has a great history of reaching people and that they're going to continue to do so. So that's the SBC History Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. Make sure and share this episode with other people. If you learned something about Lifeway that you didn't know, tag us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Uh, Look around for us. Go to sbchistory.com and find our blog. There's lots more books and resources at SBC History. And make sure and check that out. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.